So your best job as a parent is to give maths a purpose and meeting your child where they're at now. It's really just about pointing maths out in every day. This is the Curious Neuron Podcast, where we take a compassionate approach to science-based parenting. Join us as we break down the science of child development and parenting into digestible and applicable advice. Welcome. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to the Curious Neuron Podcast. My name is Cindy Huffington, and I am your host. I'm a mom of three from Montreal, Canada, and I am the founder of Curious Neuron, as well as the co-founder of the Wondergrade app. You can find the links to the Curious Neuron website uh, under the show notes and to the Wondergrade app as well. Today, we are going to talk about math something that I struggled with a lot as a child. And I thought that it would be important for us to chat with two teachers that give lots of tips on Instagram on how to introduce math to your children, what kind of activities you can do through play. And we're going to talk about that in today's episode. I would like to first thank the Tannenbaum Open Science Institute here at the Neuro in Montreal for supporting the Curious Neuron podcast. And if you aren't doing so yet, please follow Curious Neuron on Instagram at curious underscore neuron. You can also visit the website at curiousneuron.com if you'd like to read our blog posts written by graduate students and researchers and clinicians as well. And you can also join a research study from our website, either in Canada or in the United States. If you haven't done so yet, please take a moment to rate and leave a review for the podcast. And after you rate the podcast, please send me a screenshot at info at and I will send you a free tantrum PDF that I have that includes this really great visual of a mountain to help you guide your child through their emotions. And it also comes with a printable of a toolbox that can help give your child different options of what they can do when they're feeling big emotions. All right, let's introduce our guests before we move on to the uh, interview. Today, I'll be interviewing Nicole and Jessica. They are both educational uh, consultants in Melbourne, Australia, and they specialize in math in the early years. They work with teachers in schools to improve math instructions for all students. Their passion is around breaking the cycle of negative math attitudes uh, for children and empowering parents to be positive role models. They aim to get this message out through their Instagram page, uh, where they give the tips and ideas for parents and teachers for supporting the development of math through play and everyday life. The link to their Instagram page is in the show notes. It's called Tic Tac 2 with an underscore in between each word. And both are busy moms with one of their children in the first year of school. So they are relishing the opportunity to see education from the view of the parent. I'm grateful to have spoken to both of them and I hope you enjoy this conversation as much as I did. I'll see you on the other side. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Curious Neuron Podcast. My name is Cindy Huffington, and I'm your host. Today, I am here with Jessica and Nicole. Hi, welcome. Hi, everyone. So I'm 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 going to say excited and nervous because math was not my thing <laughs> when I was growing up, and my mom would always remind me, "Your younger brother's better in math than you are," <laughs> and that's why it's much easier for him. And it just up until university and graduate school, math made me so nervous. So there are a bit of nerves today because I'm excited. I'm excited, but like, what are we going to learn about math? And are you going to test me? And what's going to happen? 
true common story though that you yeah. just said about mm. oh your brother is better at maths that is so common that's actually something we'll probably talk about today how about we begin with that conversation around math itself um actually before we do that can you please introduce yourselves and and at the end we'll also have a chance to learn how to follow you and where to learn more from you well, Nicole and I are education consultants, so that's our main role at the moment. We were both um, full-time um, primary teachers, so like, you know, early education teachers. Um, we left the profession when we had kids of our own um, and decided that we wanted to make a bigger impact because we saw firsthand how, you know, relationships and I guess kids' attitudes towards maths and things like that, the, the major impact that it had on their learning. Um, so we started working in this way where we were working with lots of different schools and lots of different teachers on how they actually teach maths in school. So now we work in schools with teachers and students, um, but we also obviously have an Instagram page called TikTok Two, where we our, we sort of follow our passion, which is to sort of break that cycle of negative maths mm. attitudes. So I sort of grew up with that. Jess didn't so much. We'll probably talk about that later, but that's what we want to sort of break down is we want kids growing up with a positive relationship with math. So we sort of focus on that in our work during the day, but also in our Instagram posts as well. And I love that you guys are doing that because it is an important part of it. It's not just about learning how to teach our children math and how to do it faster and how to teach them younger, because sometimes it does fall into that, right? And I think you had a post about like helping your child be ready for school. And we might talk about that after, but I, I often hear about math from friends who have children in early elementary school and they're struggling with math and then all of a sudden they're just you see their motivation go down and their confidence go down and they just feel like they're not good at school or they were born this way not being good at math how how do we as a society start to approach all these things you know when especially with our children because we see that they're not enjoying school anymore just because of math sometimes or, or it could be reading too but math is a big one yeah yeah if we ever hear about a child struggling or you know, even a parent saying, how do I prepare my child for maths? Like it's sort of the same answer for us. It's you've got to focus on the relationship because mm -hmm. if they hate maths, they're not going to get better and they're not going to want to do it. So the the relationship to maths is actually the biggest thing you can give your child. If you can give them a positive one, then you're actually giving them the best start to learning you possibly can. So it's funny when you said at the start that you're, you used to hear that your, your brother was better than maths, at maths than you. Well, as teachers, we always used to hear that. So we would have parents come in and we would, you know, have a parent-teacher interview or something. And uh, so many parents would say to us, oh, they're just like me. I hated maths too. Yes. And it's kind of like giving that permission to, the, to my child to hate it and to fail at it as well. Whereas mm -hmm. what we want to do is pump them up and go, oh, you know, let's, I, I'm, I, maybe I wasn't good at maths when I was young, but I feel really good about it now. You know, I've worked mm. through that and I want to help you feel really good about it as well. Mm. Um, it's about trying to change that mindset because anything you hate, you're not going to want to work at. And it's true. You know, yeah. In early, like early education, the biggest influence on that is starts with the parent. It starts with mm. you. What are you modeling to your child? What are they hearing out of your mouth when, you know, you're calculating something throughout the day or solving a problem? Mm. Um, and so there's a lot of research on that um, about mindsets and, you know, having an open mindset. And I suppose you could probably look into you know, Joe Bowler and, um, yeah. and how she talks about that that's a complete fallacy that, you know, you're not born with a mass break. Mm. It's true, that, that mindset research too. Yeah, I, I get that. So I guess we can start from the beginning, you know, like maybe some parents are waiting for school or preschool to begin to start introducing math, but is it too late? Should we be doing this much earlier with children? Yeah, I guess that the best thing that you can send your child with uh, when they start preschool is is with a love of learning. Mm -hmm. um, so 
we don't need to put that pressure on ourselves for them to know what MAP is and, you know, to start like learning all of these, um, I guess, guidelines and things like that. It's more about them having a love of learning and really it's just about play. And Mm. even in early elementary and kindergarten and those sorts of years, it really is about just exposing them to math in play. Mm. And they don't necessarily know it as math. You know, they know it as playing shop or, you know, um, looking at um, the magnitude of numbers, you know, comparing numbers, one's bigger, one's smaller. It's very much about what's going on in their play and how can we maximise on that. And I guess one of our biggest tips for parents would be to make it a priority to give your kids time to play uninterrupted. You know, like yes. when we've got really busy lives and we've got all these things going on, even in preschool, you know, like my daughter does ballet and she does kinder, but the more important thing is that she gets time at home where she can just play and be, you know, inventive and solve problems. So mm-hmm. having quality toys like blocks and Lego and magnetic tiles and ball runs and things like that, not like not necessarily those toys that have flashing lights and, you yeah. know, that play for the child, but having toys that the child has to play with because yes. then they're, yes. they're practising those problem-solving skills. Mm-hmm. So that would be probably the biggest tip we would give for even before kinder is just give your kids uninterrupted time to play. Got it. I, I'm thinking of toys now and I'm thinking of a lot of Instagram accounts or toys that exist out there that have like the numbers and, you know, all the toys with the counting and you're they're, this has been giving to toddlers. Is this something that falls within like rushing you know, a, a child, or should we be introducing these toys? No. <laughs> We're like also big advocates for delaying screen time, screen time as well yeah. because we feel like once your child gets that sort of, um, you know, from a toy that flashes or talks or whatever, once they get that, it's then like, what's a block? What am I yeah. going to do with this? It's not doing boring. anything for me. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so you want to get them curious, problem solving, you know, critically thinking about, toys and how to use them before you even think about toys like that but Mm. um those educational toys are generally not very educational (laughs) I love that you had the air quotes yeah (laughs) they're really not educational like your kid is not going to learn numbers just because it has numbers on it and Mm. really if they were the only thing they're learning is what it looks like what the symbol looks like they're not learning about how big the number is or how it relates to the next number or what a picture of that image of that number might look like yeah and we often get that question of, oh, can you recommend some great educational apps? We would recommend (laughs) half an hour of play is going to be more beneficial to your child than it would be on a screen. But that being said, when we were teachers, we did use iPads for maths, but we didn't use, there's a difference. We didn't use apps where they were playing a game. We Mm. used apps like where they were able to take videos or they were able to draw something on the screen where they, again, were the users. They're not being... Got it. You know, played the the screen's not doing the playing. They're the one doing. So it's always about your child doing the playing and doing the problem solving. So I think I've seen like these apps or games where, you know, uh, like a two pops up and then another two pops up and it's like equals what? And then you have to choose. Is it the, the four, the five, the six? Yeah. things <laughs> so just i wish everybody could see your face so yeah isn't that isn't that good for my child <laughs> um the other thing about those apps is that and this is really really important is um symbolic representation is not something you should think about until your child is i think you guys call it kinder we call it prep year the first year of school okay. um you really shouldn't even be talking to your kids about symbols until then And when I say symbols, I mean like, you know, the equal sign, the plus sign, the minus sign, 
really you just want them knowing that numbers can be put together and taken apart. So mm. it's much more, again, around play and around problem solving than it is around what does this symbol mean and memorising things. Because once you start introducing symbols and there's no understanding behind it, it's just all memory. And yeah. that is exactly what we want to avoid. We don't want maths to be a memorised subject. We want it to be something that is worked out and solved. You, as you said that, the memorised part, I just had this flashback of flashcards in grade one and grade oh, two <laughs> and these moments of learning like the, the multiplication tables and the addition and being put, we had two lines on each side of the classroom and the teacher was yeah. holding up a flashcard. My heart was pounding. And that was like the first part, like the first introduction of like stress around math. What are we still doing that in schools? And, 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 and I hope we're not, <laughs> are, are we? <laughs> I would say, Yes, it is still done in schools mm-hmm. and I guess that's a lot of our work. Yeah, yeah, a lot of our work is around talking to teachers about maths anxiety and that it is a real thing and it is really um, impacted by having a focus on speed and memory because, yeah. you know, all that is doing is relying on a really, it's, it's relying on your memory and that's not going to get you very far. We want to rely on our understandings, our deep understanding. So it's funny that you say that because, my like Jess and I both have different reasons for doing the job that we do like I grew up I still remember crying in class because I couldn't remember my times tables like I remember the teacher wanting to tick Mm -hmm. them all off and I actually cried and my mum bought me cds to try and learn the songs like (laughs) one time one is one you know there were songs wow (laughs) I still I can remember the songs but I still don't know I I didn't know my times tables but Jess had a different experience with that yeah that's what we want everyone's at I had a really like I grew up with a love of maths and I can I probably like like bring that back to to one teacher that I had in like grade three so one year she had such an impact on me because she taught with understanding you know she made the strategies very visible and they were things that I could really connect with Mm. and I remembered them and then that just made my whole experience with maths really easy Mm. so I guess you know, Nicole and I come back to the fact that, you know, teachers have one year with a student, but that can make a really big difference. So, mm-hmm. you know, although it seems like a short amount of time, they have a great experience in that year. It can set them up for, you know, success for the rest of their lives in, in their educational sort of journey. Can, can a parent help with that? So I, I'm just speaking from yeah. my own, my friends, sometimes they'll tell me like the child is not connecting with a certain teacher. It could be a math teacher and the parent doesn't know how to help their child right so if there isn't that connection there and the child isn't enjoying math with that teacher how can a parent help them when they're home and they're trying to do homework and really struggling with like telling time or the multiplication table what can a parent do in that case look I think um you know one one of our tips is always that you you want the parent and the teacher to have a good relationship to have an open relationship because you know, at the, at the end of the day, the student is at the centre. And so, you know, all of the moving parts that go around that are, the, you know, what's happening at home and what's happening at school and you want them to connect. So I guess when, you know, when the teacher and the student aren't really gelling, it may be about, you know, I guess um, taking the pressure off and not necessarily focusing on homework but just focusing on the topics that they're exploring at school just in a very light way, you know, through conversation, through dinner talk, you know, Mm. just that, you know, sitting around the table and eating dinner and just discussing, um, you know, a a part of what happened at at school today or in that that class because I guess um, the other thing for for our children is that if it's not valid, if it's not um, something that they need to know, they're not going to be interested in knowing it. Mm. 
Mm. So, you know, we spoke a lot before about, um, you know, should we be teaching our kids maths before they start school? No, because it's not relevant to them. Mm. So until it's relevant to them, they're not going to have an interest and they're not going to be curious about it. Mm. So your, your best job as a parent is to give maths a purpose. So give it that content. So like Jess is saying, if they if it doesn't have a purpose, they're not going to be interested in it. So if they're learning something at school, like, for example, if they're learning about multiplication and they're, you know, making arrays and stuff like that and they're really struggling with it, the best thing you can do at home is give it a purpose. So make some cupcakes and say, oh, look, we're using a tray. Look, the tray looks like an array. I wonder how many cupcakes we're making. How many are we going to put sprinkles on? You know, mm. have we got enough that everyone in the cl- in the family can have two cupcakes each? It's giving a purpose to the things they're doing at school. That's mm. probably the best way you can support them at home. Yeah. No, I, I think this is a great segue to talk about homeschooling because as I, to- I told you guys before, the homeschooling is not something I had anticipated. But now that we're there, I'm realizing that the kitchen is the best place for math. <laughs> I think the dinner table and the kitchen is... I, I pictured, you know, what I the way that I had learned and, you know, we were sitting down and learning math, but there's so much to do in the kitchen. And even just with my younger kids, who has more green peas in their plate? You, me, mommy, daddy, you know, like who has? So just that concept with the younger ones. And then with my daughter now, who's in grade one, fractions, I mean, we were cutting up the pizza, cutting up, you know, different food items, dividing, like you said, food equally among the the, the five of us in our home. There are lots of opportunities. So you mentioned play, but I just wanted to bring in the kitchen because I've learned through homeschooling that there are lots of opportunities there as well. Absolutely. Mm. Like, it's, it's amazing. Jess and I have always said, like, we're teachers. So a lot of teachers might want to teach their kids things before they go to school just to prepare them you know and we sort of always said we don't want to teach our kids anything we just want to help them see where it naturally is do you know what I mean so yeah. we haven't taught our kids anything we've both got a child in I'm trying to call it kinder that feels because yeah. <laughs> that's prep for us um, and they, they've got really strong number sense and I think we put that down to the fact that we've always pointed out maths everywhere where it is we've cooked with them we've played sport with them we've talked about time like when we're watching the football which is AFL so it's not what you watch but you know you get six points for a goal and you get one point so that has been really and you know how much is one team beating the other team by house numbers you know you're walking down the street and you know why are the numbers going in that way and what would be the next house number that we're approaching and, and I think that's why we really started our Instagram page at first because I mean, we're both from big families. We both have siblings that are not teachers and they were sort of asking us advice, like how can I help my child at school? And we're thinking, well, maybe this is something that we just know because we're teachers. We didn't realise that. <laughs> yeah. and we we're all want to know. <laughs> yeah, maybe this is something that parents haven't really thought of. Mm. So, yeah, I guess that's the main premise of our Instagram page is to help parents see that maths is everywhere, literally mm. everywhere. <laughs> you can't do anything without maths um, and just gentle natural ways you can and also yes don't don't rush it you know you you often have the parent that says like oh my child can count to 100 Mm -hmm. you know should I be going you know beyond that should we be looking at numbers to the thousand no way like (laughs) take it back just look at numbers to 10 you know especially like in those early years because if they develop a really solid understanding of those numbers to 10 that's going to help them for the rest of their you know of their lives with Mm. you know they'll be able to apply that knowledge to other areas so let, can we go back to just the preschool years and, and younger kids? You talked about number sense. So what is that? And is that something that we should be introducing at a, a certain age? Yeah. So number sense is basically 
um, having a strong sense about number. So it's not just being, you know, I can count, but I may not really think about how those numbers relate to each other. So yes, I can say one, two, three, four, five, six, but I haven't thought about the fact that six is one more than five or it's Mm. one less than seven. I haven't actually thought about those things yet. So number sense is kind of, it goes, it's getting your child to think further than counting. So it's also getting your child to think flexibly with numbers, Mm. you know. So yes, we count in that way, but can I start at seven and can I count on from there? Or can I start at four and can I count back from there? So it's, it's shifting away from, you know, when we count, we sing a song and we just count to 10 and then that's it. Mm. You know, it's It's about actually understanding the numbers. So one of the great ways you can help your child build number sense is to help them sort of create mental images of what numbers look like. For example, you know, the dots on a dice um, or the cupcakes in a tray or um, even just I'm trying to think yeah, of but even just an example of, of, of what a number is. So what does three look like? There are three apples in the fruit bowl, you know, yeah. how many bananas are there? Oh, there are four. So that they've got those images of what that looks like. Mm. And the reason why we do that, so... Yes, we're building images of single-digit numbers, but then later on once they're, um, you know, adding and subtracting, they're able to see, okay, so I've got a strong mental image of what six looks like. I know that it's a four and a two. So if I have to, you know, build to 10, I can sort of break an, I can break a number up to help me. So it's, it seems like a small thing creating a mental image of a number, what it looks like, but it will actually help going forward into, you know, addition and subtraction and understanding place mm. value as well because you can actually mentally break down a number and put it back together and use it in different ways. So number sense, I, I guess, like, we probably recommend, you know, two or three important things in the early years. Number sense is definitely the biggest one. Um, the other one is spatial reasoning. So playing with blocks and magnetic tiles and things like that is actually also helping with that mental mental images as well because you're helping them to visualise, you're helping them to, you know, um, rotate objects and think about where I am in relation to objects, you know, uh, following maps and things like that. That's all spatial reasoning. So spatial reasoning and number sense, I would say, are probably the two biggest things to work on. So anywhere you see numbers and any types of building you can do are going to help your child for sure. I love that you brought up the building blocks because we might, as parents, not realize the building blocks are going to help them later on. But you've mentioned this mental imagery, and I I see it as working memory, which is just maintaining that information, right? Somebody tells you their phone number, you have to keep repeating in your mind and remembering it there. But it's one step further where you're actually kind of seeing them. So if I'm telling you two plus five plus three, well, you have to see them in your mind and try to add them. And it's not an easy concept. And often that working memory, and maybe that'll bring us to the conversation also of neurodivergence and children who do struggle with numbers when they start elementary school, working memory and and difficulties in working memory can lead to difficulties in math, right? From what I've read. Um, and do we, we see that, I think, more in ADHD. So what are some signs, I guess, when a child is starting school, what are some signs that like it's, it's struggle, a struggle versus something that we should seek um, help or, or ask their doctor about? Because I know I have a, um, uh, there's a, a neighbor here who has dyscalculia, I think, um, but just the difficulties with numbers. So how do we know as parents that it's time to ask for help? Yeah, so um, obviously we've talked about, you know, that negative attitude in primary. If your child is in kinder or grade one and they are hating maths, that would be a very strong sign that you need to look into it because there's a reason why they're hating it. It's probably because they're struggling with it. Um, so that would be probably the first thing. But further than that, 
if we want to, you know, if we talk about the most important things to do in kinder, basically are counting, um, learning how the numbers relate to each other, like I just said before, but building those strong mental images. So if your child is struggling to go from counting to doing anything else, like, for example, if you were to show them um, a picture of five dots and they still have to count them by ones and they're getting towards the end of prep, that might be a sign that they're not starting to create those mental images and they're not able to see numbers. So that might be a sign that you'd want extra help. Um, the other thing that's really important is, like Jess said before, is the understanding 10. So if they get into maybe grade one and they're not really, would you say grade one, probably yeah, mid-grade one. Yeah. yeah. And they're struggling to sort of grasp a concept of what makes 10, then again, that might be another sign. But we say that with... Yeah. With it's very lightly, you know, very lightly because every kid learns differently. So it's not like because they're struggling, they're gonna, you know, be struggling forever. Yeah. It might just be, oh, I've got to do a bit more work with a bit more play with numbers at home, or I've got to do a bit more pointing out maths in real life. But especially in those elementary years, it should just be about play. So if you've got a really good relationship with the with your child's teacher, um, and you know you kind of can have that open discourse. You hopefully would know if there were any, like, issues that they could see. Um, but it should just be about place. So they should enjoy it. So I think yeah. the negative attitude or really hating maths in those early years, that would be a very strong sign that there may be something not, not quite right. For sure. Yeah. I, I don't know the school system where you are, but I know here now that I've learned it because I had to help my child learn math, uh, and which made me very nervous too, of like, how am I going to teach my child math if I didn't like it or I struggled with it myself? But I, I found that it was very quick. So she started grade one, uh, you know, kindergarten was about like identifying it, counting up to 10 and so on. But then grade one started off with like adding, you know, five plus three and there were the, the tens bar and that she, she would have to divide them. And then by mid, mid-year, we were doing fractions and learning how to tell time and, and, and adding like 23 plus 45 and in grade one. And it, it was, I don't know if it was just me, but I felt like it was quick. Do you think that overall the education system is pushing too quickly when it comes to, to math and, and, and oh my gosh. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was presenting at a school yesterday and we were talking about the curriculum and how you're supposed to teach preps and grade ones how to tell the time but if you think about telling the time like our number system is the base 10 system same as you guys yeah but telling the time is like base 60 you know mm, you've got a exactly. 60 seconds in a minute 60 minutes in an hour so we're trying to teach kids to do something that is completely out of their realm at the time so yeah. Some things in the curriculum are completely illogical. And, yeah, and sadly, <laughs> yeah, and sadly for like teachers and schools, it's you know they're so worried about meeting all of these standards mm. that they lose sight of that. You know, mm. so it's often not your teacher. You know, it's, it's 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 not the teacher's fault that they mm. have to sort of cover all mm. of these things because they also need to do their job. Yeah. Um. I guess the the only thing or the best thing that we can do as parents at home is not add to that pressure and not worry and stress our children out about knowing everything and doing all of this homework and things like that. It's it's more about let's just think about everyday life. We use maths every day for everything. You know, you go to the butcher, you go to the grocer, and you have to do these quick calculations in your head, and that is where it's really important. So it's really just about pointing maths out in every day. I really like that, yeah. Yeah, and meeting your child where they're at now. So rather than you know, thinking, oh, because even sometimes it's not just the curriculum. Sometimes it's like, 
oh, your cousin can do that. Why aren't, why isn't my child doing that? Or your friend is doing that. Why isn't my child doing that? And thinking, oh, I've got to teach them. Yeah. They'll do it when they're ready. So it's about meeting your child where they're at. So if they're not up to counting over 100, you know, try and show them that in everyday life, but don't stress about it. You know what I mean? Mm. Like, yes, there might be signs that your child is struggling, but it doesn't mean they're going to be struggling forever. forever. It just yeah. means they're having trouble grasping that one concept. And sometimes once you grasp, for example, if you're struggling to understand 10, but then once you grasp it, you might fly from there because yeah. that was that one thing that was just holding you back. So just because your child might struggle in prep, picking up those early concepts does not mean they will struggle forever. Mm. It might just mean they need a little bit more play or experience to help them grasp it. Mm. And I, I wonder also the role of the parent, right? Because like you said, if, and I, I was probably thinking the same thing, like if my kids are going to struggle, it's my fault. But I was, I was like this, I brought, I gave it to them and I'm sure lots of parents are still thinking that, but I think we need to work on our own mindset as parents so that we could, like you said, be there for them and get them excited about it because they are curious. And sometimes math comes up and we don't even realize like my son, we were, where were we? I think we were at the grocery store and we were weighing something and he's like, does that weigh 3%? <laughs> and I was like, well, no, he, you know, he was four at the, t- at the time. And I was like, it's pounds. And it's, it wasn't about a big conversation. It wasn't about an exam or pushing the concept, but he had heard percent somewhere and just thought it weighed four whatever percent. And it's, those moments are huge moments in, when it comes to, to learning. That's a really good like example of, you know, that was technically a mistake, but mm. he, he learned from that and we haven't mm. really touched on that. But mm. oh, yeah. mistake making in maths is essential. You know, mm. you, you learn from your mistakes. So it's okay to get things wrong. It's okay not to understand something mm. because at the end of the day, you know, that experience is going to make you understand it better the next time you do it, mm. you know, because sure. you're curious about it. You want to know, you know. Mm. Um, so we talk about something in school called productive struggle. Um, And basically it means that your child is working at a level where they can't just do everything straight away. They've actually got to sort of grapple with the maths. They've got to really think about it. So we try and help students work in that stage at school. So we encourage mistake making and learning from mistakes. So that's another thing parents can do at home is to encourage that as well and to show them that they made a mistake. Like last night there was actually a TV show and on about it was like school against school or something and they had this maths problem. And I was like, oh, I'm going to figure this out. So I was sitting there. My son is six and he's sitting next to me. And, like, it's an algebraic problem I'm trying to solve. And he's like, what are you doing there, mommy? What does that mean? And I'm like, oh, I'm just really struggling. I'm like, but I'm so, I was so motivated to get it. And he could see that. So I guess as a parent showing that we struggle sometimes too, but we're also excited to get to the end. Like mm-hmm. I might make a mistake, but I'm excited to fix it. Mm-hmm. I love that. And we could do that with play too, right? Like puzzles or games that we have to yeah. think through, like problem solving games. We, even if we know the answer, we can take our time and try to say, like model that out loud. Like, I don't know what the answer is. Let me try to figure it out. What if I put the puzzle piece here, right? That that would be the same. Yeah. And Absolutely. I guess, yeah. The other thing to consider too is that as parents, we naturally want to problem solve for our kids, you know. And <laughs> yes, guess, so important. You know, when they're yeah. one and two and then three and that's the sort of thing that we do for them. We problem solve all day. Yeah. But as they start to prepare for school, we've, we've got to let go. You know, we've mm. got to let them struggle with the math. We've got to let them struggle in play. So, you know, if they are trying to solve something or they do have a question, just give them some time to think about that. Don't mm. jump straight away to, you know, solving that for them. So mm. I guess that's probably another really important tip as you're getting them ready for school. Mm. It's just 
there's not always going to be someone there to solve your problems. You really have to take the time and stop and think. And, of course, you know, if they're really struggling, then you can intervene and, yeah. and, and help. Productive struggle doesn't look like your child crying and feeling stressed. You're, it looks like them going, ooh, you know, oh, how do I do this? It's, yeah. It looks like them deep in thought. It doesn't look like them being really upset. So if they're upset, obviously jump in. But if they're deep in thought and you can just leave them and give them a bit of wait time and let them be deep in thought, then that's a really great way to help mm. your child as well. And it's true that I think we often try to get to the answer quickly, even like going back to the puzzle example, right? If they don't know where it goes, we easily say like, it belongs here, here, let me take it for you and let me finish the puzzle for you. I'm thinking also when my daughter this year in grade one was looking at um, word problems in math, those are really hard and I didn't know how to teach that. Um, but it often led to, at the beginning, I had to be more mindful of it, but it led to me saying, no, here's the five. So add the five with the four, like look at the numbers and I had to step back and realize. So what, what happened? happens when it comes to like word problems how do we guide our child because now there's the language involved there's the looking for the equation in these words it was really complicated for her we would say like this is something that we work with teachers all the time about there's definitely an approach that seems to have been around for a long time which is you know let's underline the important parts let's look for the maths in the yeah. problem but what we would suggest instead which is very different is Take the numbers out to start off with and just get an understanding of the story. Like say, for example, you've got a problem that is, you know, I'm making um, six cupcakes with sprinkles and five cupcakes with no sprinkles. How many do I have altogether? Yes. Just get to know the story first. So don't say the numbers first. Just say, okay, so this store, this problem today is about making cupcakes. They're going to make two different types of cupcakes. Some are going to have sprinkles, some are not. Okay, let's have a little picture in our mind of what those cupcakes might look like. So it's about understanding the story and have, getting that visual picture in your mind before you even bring the numbers in. Because as soon as you bring the numbers in, they jump to calculating and that's when they really struggle because they're just like, oh, gosh, there's a six and a five. What do I do with them? Yeah. Should I put them together? Should I take them yes. apart? So if you can just play around with the story and visualise you'll have a much better chance of being able to solve the problem. And also, like, what we also have to consider is, too, it's, it's a comprehension um, mm -hmm. issue as well because you may read that problem one way, your child reads it another way, so they will have a different understanding of it. So, mm -hmm. you know, th there could also be a word in, in the problem that they're not familiar with. So talking just about the problem and, like Nicole said, just doing it very lightly without any numbers and just, well, let's actually think about what that might look like. You know, like I think we had an issue once where we gave a problem to some younger students. This was when we were in a school and it was about a staircase. And a lot of these kids didn't actually know what a staircase was. Mm. Some of them were visualising a staircase. Other, others were visualising something else. So if they don't actually know what those words mean, mm. that's going to, of course, you know, um, be an issue for them when they're trying to solve the problem. I get that, yeah. Same thing uh, here. What was what was difficult, I think, was the fact that we're an English speaking family and they were in French. <laughs> the problems were in a different you language. Can't help with that. <laughs> I know that was so hard, but I, I felt so bad for her because she didn't know like what is this word? What is? And I get it. The comprehension part was really hard. Um, the other thing you can do is um, definitely um, try to make a representation of the problem. So hmm. even if you say before we even try and solve this, let's just try and represent the problem. So. Before I even think about what to do with the cupcakes, let's just get some counters out that could pretend to be the cupcakes or let's get spoons or whatever you've got at home that you mm -hmm. can use. But if you can, yeah, sort of play with it, it's, it comes back to playing and modelling, you know, if you can sort of 
make the problem first and then sort of show what's happening with it, it can really help you sort of understand that problem. Do you do you recommend that a parent who has a child in early elementary school, do you recommend these counters and other, what other tools can a parent have to help them when they're doing homework? Um, look, you, obviously you can buy those educational counters and res, uh, things like that, resources, but you can also just use pencils. You can just use household mm-hmm. items. You can use fruit in your fruit bowl. Mm-hmm. Um you know, and sometimes it's almost better in that way because you want your child to think very flexibly about, you know, the imagery that they have in their mind or what they're actually using. You know, you don't want them to be like, oh, I need my counters and I have to use counters. You know, you want them to see it everywhere. You want them to be able to generalise their understandings past counters and to actual objects. Um, And we do a lot of posts on, on our Instagram page about different things you can use. Like the other day we made a wreck and wreck out of pegs so pegs are really handy as well like anything you have in your house that you have a lot of Uh, yeah I think that I think you know generally just in 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 your household sometimes you may not have a hundred of the same objects so that's when having a box of counters may be handy Mm. you know because you you want to look at like big amounts of numbers got it um speaking of counting in early elementary school I I also remember that we would always we would be told to put our hands down we weren't allowed to count with our fingers is is this something (laughs) I don't know because we had to do it in our head and you know now as an adult understanding that the imagery part of it but we weren't told that we were just told like keep your hands down you can't count with your fingers I don't know if this is still happening in schools but in case a parent is listening and they might have that mindset because they were taught that should we allow them to count with their fingers and 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 or is this something Basically, your kids are carrying around a maths maths tool on the end of their hands and you should let them use it. I love it. We read something once that said there's a reason why we were born with 10 fingers because we have our base 10 system. So (laughs) actually walking around with the most important maths tool you have. Um, Again, we've mentioned Jo Ball earlier, but she's got a lot of research into how um, you've actually got a finger perception part of the brain and by using your fingers, you're actually building those mental images as well. So even though, yes, your child is using their fingers, it doesn't matter. Um, it's They're still doing, If let me say that again. If your child is using their fingers, it's because they need to. Yes. And if we tell them not to, what are they going to do instead? Mm. <laughs> you know, if we say sit on your hands, it's going to be like, well, I can't do it any other way. So yes. if they're using their fingers and they need to, let them use them. They won't use them forever. Is that going to stop them from moving towards the imagery part and seeing them in the he- in their minds? No, it's not no. stopping anything like that. Okay. Because when they're ready, and I think the other thing to remember is, so often what happens in math when we learn new things in math, um, you know, if we're put in a position where we're a bit unsure, we always revert back to what we're very comfortable with. So counting on our fingers is something that we're all comfortable with. So you still see adults sometimes who count on yeah. their fingers, and that's okay. <laughs> You know, so they could just be working on a problem or dealing with a concept that is new. So they're reverting back to what they're very comfortable with, mm-hmm. that using their fingers is maybe a safety net for them. So you may notice that for a period of time they won't use their fingers and they'll be able to calculate things in their head and then they're facing a problem that, oh, they're a bit nervous about or they're a bit unsure about and they go back to that and that's mm-hmm. completely fine too. Mm-hmm. I love that. That comfort, that comfort piece is really important because we don't want to take that away from them. Uh, mm-hmm. I love that. Um, what can we do when our child has something more serious, right, in terms of the anxiety? And you can tell that everything is okay except for math. And it's not just about thinking they're not, they're not good at it, but they are often saying like they have a stomach ache before math exam or they don't feel well. How do we approach that with them? Is it just about going back to play, like you said at the beginning, and trying to make it more interesting in the home? Or is there something more that we should be doing with them? 
So, so d- definitely, I suppose they've they've got to have some positive experiences with it. Mm. So, if they're not having those positive experiences at school, we've got to make sure that they happen at home. Um, you know, so you know, maybe just taking them to the supermarket and giving them five dollars, and let's just see how much you can buy. Mm. And you know, and I suppose just uh, and then get to the end and go, oh my gosh, you just did maths, exactly. And then <laughs> you know, pointing out that, that that was actually maths. You know, I love that. Um, you would definitely need to talk to their teacher, though. Like, mm. this is not something that you would just keep to yourself and worry about it yourself because, really, teachers want the best for their students. So mm. if you went to a teacher and said, oh, my gosh, you know, I'm really worried about my little one. He's really having trouble. He's hating maths. He's getting a sore tummy. What can we do about it? And that teacher will have some strategies as well. They will want to do their best for that child because definitely both parents and teachers want the best for mm. those students. So um, that at school it might look like... Um, the teacher also trying to have some more positive experiences, trying to maybe that teacher will um, call on that child when they know they've got an answer. Do you know what I mean? So mm. so that they can have that confident, positive yeah. experience. So it would be like, you know, pretend the child's name is Bob or whatever. Mm. You know, oh, Bob, I know that you know the answer to this. Let's have a go. Let's Let's share our knowledge with everyone else so that they've got that moment of confidence. So if you mm. don't tell the teacher, they may not know. So definitely have that chat with the teacher. And I suppose just encourage an environment of mistake making. Yes. It's okay. It's, it's good to make mistakes. So at home, make sure that, that that's how they feel, you know, point out when, you know, mum or dad makes a mistake and, mm. and we learn from that. And this is like in life, not just in maths. Yeah. 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 We yeah. make mistakes. Okay. We learn from them. It's all mm. right. You're not going to, you know, sometimes kids will think, you know, you make a mistake, I'm going to get in trouble. And they can sometimes relate that to maths as well. Mm, If I make mm. a mistake, I'm going to get in trouble. You're not going to get in trouble. You're actually going to learn and your brain's going to grow. So Mm. that's what we want to tell that's what we want to tell you. And, you know, I, I the whole trouble piece, I think, is an important part too because I think as parents we want our kids to do well and then sometimes we put a little bit too much pressure on them when it comes to grades and school. Again, it's not to say that we don't want them to do well in school, but we we can't push them sometimes. A little, you know, too, we, we do it. We push them too much. What advice do you have for parents? Because I know that they want what's best for their child. How can we look at it in terms of you don't have to have a hundred percent, you know, everything correct on your test and and appreciate the fact that their child might be the one that gets 70% and that's okay. They are doing their best. Cause I, I know I've heard parents, you know, say like, they'll tell them like, this is not your best. This, you know, I know you can get a hundred, you keep getting 70, but I know you should, you should be getting, I know you know more, you know, better than this. How, how do we, what can we say to parents about this? It's, it's really like sort of gray area because mm. Like really from a teacher's point of view or from a teaching perspective, um, I would rather a child get 70% on a test than 100 because then I I can see from that 70% what I need to work on, where they mm. need to go next. If they're getting 100, maybe the work that they're getting at school them. is too easy for them and mm. they could just be floating by, whereas if they're getting 70, the teacher knows what they need to do next. Mm. Um, I guess in a, in a situation where you've got students going to school you know, that's the environment where they're going to learn, they're going to be exposed to new concepts. The environment at home should be fun. It should be looking at it in every day. It should be, um, I guess, giving them the opportunity to sort of solidify that information, to, you know, transfer what's going on at school to the home. What does that look like at home? What does that mean when we're doing math at home? Um, And and more generally, I mean, we want our children to know that there are, many different people in this world and not every person is you you can't be good at everything you literally can't be so you are not going to get 100 percent on everything that you do in school and that's okay 
Mm. We all have our special, we, you know, we all have our talents and we all have things that we struggle with. And there is a place for every person in this world. Everyone is different. And just because you are not getting 100% on your maths test does not mean that you're not going to succeed in life and be happy. And there seems to be such a focus on even our kids in like prep and kinder, you know, setting them up for their jobs they're going to do in their future. Like, let's just all relax yeah. a little bit. And just let Can we just play? Kids. Yes, exactly. Yeah. yeah. You know, in, a, in Victoria at the moment, they're talking about, in Australia where we mm. live, they're talking about making the four-year-old kinder year more of a school year. So it, they'll actually be going like they're in school. And I just think, we just think this idea is terrible because why are we trying to speed up our kids getting to school and getting out of school and getting into jobs? Let's just let them be kids for longer and exactly. let them make mistakes and play and learn from the world. We want them to enjoy. I actually read a post the other day from a homeschooler and she said something like, um, I want my child to know that learn. I can learn because I want to, not just because someone told me I have to. Yes. So, yeah. You know, we don't want our kids to think that learning is just in school and I have to get 100% right. Learning is in life and you will find a place in this world, whether you get 100% on your and test I've or not. Really good, I've actually got a really, like, appropriate story. So mm. I have a younger sister and she always struggled with math. That mm. was definitely an area in her schooling that, you know, she found difficult. Um, she's now like a nurse. She's now a registered nurse and she's working. And, you know, even while she was, you know, in university and studying, she was very nervous about the math and how mm. am I going to calculate medications and how am I going to do that on the spot? And I was having a conversation with her the other day and she's been in the job for, you know, for 12 months and she said, I'm surprised at myself at how well I'm doing because now it's relevant to her. Now she needs it mm. um, and she's doing it constantly and for a purpose. She's actually doing really well at it and her confidence is boosted and she mm. feels very good about it. So a lot of her struggle, a lot of her issues was just lack of confidence, mm. you know. Now that she actually is in her job and she's very good at her job, she feels good about it. She feels good about the maths and it's not an issue anymore. And it was just amazing to me because I, we were all a bit concerned about how she was going to do that thing. <laughs> and I think that's what parents have, what we have in our minds, right? We we see early struggles in math and we think they'll never be able to become what they want. Maybe they'll struggle and, and it's not true. I remember even for myself, you know, during my, my we had like this exam for the, my PhD. It was like a mid-assessment mid and there was a lot of math and stats. And I was like, oh gosh, this is going to be the worst. Like I'm going to bomb mm -hmm. everything because I don't want to talk about stats but then everything's applicable because it was your own research so you understood how to explain it and then I had all these flashbacks of like math and it made sense now in in what it was applicable and I totally get the story about your sister because it's in your your field now and you're using it and how it should be used and I, I remember in high school a lot of kids would say what do I they would yell at the teacher I don't understand this I don't understand algebra and calculus when will I ever use this like in my life <laughs> And yeah, it'll all come back. <laughs> I had that argument with my husband last night when I was trying to solve that algebraic problem. And he's like, but why do you even care how yeah. old Rick and Roy were? Because it was one of those problems like, you know, Rick is three times as old as Roy or whatever. And he's like, when are you even going to use that anyway? <laughs> <laughs> you know, um, t we're, we're near the end of our conversation. Unfortunately, I'm learning so much. I wish we could have continued this much longer. But um, you, you mentioned the, the pre-K part. We did that as well here in Montreal. We're actually a step ahead of you. <laughs> we, in we implemented uh -huh. it two years ago. and But it's not mandatory. Um, and I was having a discussion with a neighbor 
remember the other day where she had registered her child for pre-K, which would be in a big school following the, you know, they're four years old and they would be following yeah. the same day as a grade six student, right? Like it's, it's a huge day. Um, and she's like, I, I don't think my child's ready. And I said, so don't, don't do it, you know, keep them. In, in. Any four-year-old is ready. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's too much. And I think we're pushing so hard. When two years ago, when they implemented this preschool program here in Montreal or Quebec, um, parents, some parents were upset that it was play-based. They said, no, my child is starting school and, and now we should be sitting down. And they said we should learn how to sit down at a chair and follow instructions and It's, it was too much. It's, and, but they kept it play-based. <laughs> Thank goodness. Yeah. And um, you know what? That really lot. reminds me. As teachers and as leaders in schools, we often used to hear parents say, oh, oh so you're just going to play for an hour? Yeah. My child's coming to school to play, yeah. are they? You know, and they would get <laughs> worried that we were just playing at school. But just I, I guess what we really want parents to know is that play is it's the strongest form of learning. So the more you're, I would be so happy if I heard that my child was playing all day, you know, my child does developmental play and prep. And I love the sound of that. I think that's great because he's going to be learning so much during that time. You got to have faith in, in the education. Yeah. You know, yes, there are things, I guess, as parents that we're not sure about. And definitely you've got to follow your gut. Like you said, if you don't think your child's not ready for something, then don't do it, especially yeah. if it's not mandatory and you don't have to. Mm. Um, and also, you know, You have to trust in, in your child's teacher and what's going on at school. And if you are ever concerned about something, make sure you speak to them. Mm. You know, we, we want parents to advocate for their children and we want, you know, what's happening at school and what's happening at home to work together. Mm. I get that. I, I just want to go back on play for a little bit because it is an important part of this conversation. And you mentioned open-ended play and, and letting them play on their own for a while. But I, I just realized now, I put myself in the shoes of a parent who's listening And mm -hmm. probably questioning why should their child be alone and how is this helping them learn math? Should I not be beside them and pushing them to count and pushing them to recognize numbers and showing them, right? Like what, what's the difference? Why should we promote the open-ended play? Yeah, I mean, to be honest, I mean, how often does your child, your, your child's not going to go and play on their own in another room completely by themselves. Like <laughs> my child is always playing, she's four, but she's always very close yeah. to me so I can hear it. But I love it when I hear her, playing on her own, you know, having little conversations to herself because that's when you can tell that she's deep in that mm. play and that's when I don't interrupt her. I don't say lunch is ready and I don't say mm. what are you doing there? Oh, you're counting those. Oh, let's count. Yeah. I don't push any of that because it's all going to come up anyway and she was actually building a castle the other day and she put like a plank across something and she was trying to balance little people on it. And that could have been an opportunity where I could have gone over there and said, oh, look, you're learning about balance here, you know, but I didn't. I just let her do it. And then afterwards I was like, gee, was that tricky? Did you have trouble balancing those people on there? And she's like, yeah. She goes, I had to put the middle one on first and then the outside ones. I so she that. learned it without me having to tell her, you know, and kids do. They learn things through trial and error. They're going to learn it whether you go over there and distract them or not. So I would say leave them to it. <laughs> <laughs> and at what point should a parent step in, though, when it comes to play? Like I'm thinking of scaffolding certain learning, you know, aspects or even let's say building a puzzle or the, the building blocks, right? Like creating a tower. For some kids, it could be disappointing because the tower keeps falling. How do we guide them in those moments where they are struggling? Like we said, productive struggles. So, 
you want them working on something that they are excited about completing. But if it's becoming too much and if they are becoming upset, of course intervene, mm. of course help them, of course, you know, do it together as a, as a working mm. pair. Um, but like Nicole said, I guess there's a, there's, a, there's a very big difference between a child who is deep in play and really enjoying themselves than a child who is sitting there begging their, you know, mum or dad to come over and give them attention or to mm. help them with something. So, you know, mm. maximise, I guess, on the opportunities where they, they are just deep in play on their own. That doesn't happen very often. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so definitely let know. that go. And then when you are out and you are at the supermarket or you are in places where you can point out the math, that's where you want to do that, mm. you know, maybe where they're not seeing those um, opportunities themselves. Mm. And often when it comes to block play, like I'll sit next to my daughter and play with her, like particularly at the moment because we've got new blocks all sorted and we're all very excited <laughs> about it. Like I might play next to her and then it actually happens all the time. Like her, her castle fell the other day and I said, and she, cracked it and I said oh my gosh I love it when something falls because it means I can think creatively and I can build it differently the next time and then um you know a few days later she said that to me because mine fell and she goes that means you can build it differently and I was like that's so cute so like again it's that I made a mistake but I'm gonna actually get something more get something better out of it you know um so again it's that allowing them to productively struggle, allowing them to learn from mistakes and just helping them be excited. So the other thing that's really important is don't interrupt, like if you're playing a game or you're building something, don't interrupt it just for learning's sake. Like because, like I said, they're going to learn anyway. So if you interrupt it and go, oh, so what did you do then? Did you count three? Can you show me again? (laughs) They don't need to do that. They've done it already. (laughs) You know, there's no purpose to them showing you again. So just let them play and learn from naturally what they're doing. Such an important take home. I think this whole idea of play around math, you know, it's really the most important part of everything that we have to take home from this conversation. So I guess to end our conversation, is there something maybe that I I haven't touched on that you'd like parents to know, or perhaps some tips that you can give parents as a takeaway from this conversation? Yeah, I think we would have, we would have five, um, five tips that I guess summarize everything we've said today. So the first one is, as we've said, focus on positive relationships with maths. So if you're going to take anything away from today, that is the first one. Um, you know, welcome mistake making and learning from mistakes. So we, so make sure that that's a part of the environment at home always. You know, we learn from our mistakes and that is okay. Be a positive role model for your child and be positive about learning in general. So we're not just talking about maths here. We're talking about learning in general. Learning is something exciting and something to be motivated about and that's what we want our children to feel. Um, and just ensure that your child gets that uninterrupted time to just play, um, you know, let them play and with quality toys, like we said. So things like blocks, Lego, um, you know, playing shop, um, board games, things where maths just will naturally um, progress through the play and they don't even realise that it's math. That's that's what we want. And like we've said, again, look for opportunities to bring maths conversations into day-to-day life. And they are literally everywhere. But um, (laughs) the biggest thing you can do is just take the pressure off yourself and also your children. Your children are learning Mm. just through life. And if you can sit back and just observe that, and rather than trying to set up maths experiences, just watch what they're already doing, you'll be surprised by how much they're actually learning on their own. It's so true. Thank you so much to both of you for chatting with me today. Where can uh, our audience find you and learn from you? You mentioned uh, Tic Tac 2 on Instagram. 
our, our website is yeah, our website is is currently under okay. construction. But keep um, yep, just keep um, an eye out on, on our Instagram page because we'll be posting all the website uh, all the sort of updates on there, and it should be launching in the next couple of months. So it'll be a, a new website with lots of resources. If you are a parent with a young child and wanting to help find maths in everyday life, definitely follow us on Instagram because we're always posting tips and ideas about how you can do that. So it's tic-tac-toe with two underscores between each word. <laughs> and I'll have the link in the show notes. And for I know you have your, cons- your consulting. Is this for schools? Because we do have an audience from Australia. So is, are, is this schools that contact you? Is it parents that contact you? Who do you work with? We work in schools with teachers. Um, so, yeah, if there's okay. any schools following that are interested in getting some maths consulting help, you can just contact us through our Instagram page as well. Perfect. Can't wait to see it. Thank you again. And I hope we have a follow-up discussion for like maybe high school students. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, Thanks again. <laughs>